Turn with me to Psalm 150. We already heard the psalm in its entirety as our call to worship. But we turn again to the reading of God's word. To reminder, a reminder to us of his power and majesty. The psalms are the songbook for God's people. And so you can open your Bible or you can find the psalm for this morning printed in your bulletin. The psalms are divided into five different sections. And over the last several weeks, we have looked at the concluding psalm of each section. A, a reminder from the very structure of the book itself that we are to turn to God in praise no matter the struggles of life. Because each of the five books ends with a doxology. Psalm 41, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. Psalm 72, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Psalm 89, blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And last week, Pastor Mike read to us from Psalm 106, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, Psalm 150 ends not only the last section of the Psalms, but is the obvious conclusion to the whole book. Not simply a verse of praise to God, but an entire psalm of praise to God. And so listen to the word of God, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God, we come to you needing to hear you speak to us. We come asking that your gospel, your truth, would be made clear. By the work of your spirit, Lord, I pray that you would use the, the power and the simplicity of your psalm to teach us to turn to you in gospel hope to see the work of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and to rejoice in what you have done for us. So, Father in heaven, we come praying in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the translations for Psalm 150 that I read this week puts the entire psalm in all caps. The, the, the need with, with the capital letters to emphasize its importance an attempt to capture the, the strength and power and even the, the volume of this psalm. Like someone on Twitter using all caps to get your attention or your parents responding to you in text, or maybe you are that parent responding in all caps. But, but this wasn't a, a new translation. This wasn't a recent commentary trying to sort of capture a, a picture of what, what this would look like in a, in a Twitter world. This was actually a commentary from a previous generation. Because often in my sermon preparation, I, I, I try and use at least one commentary from, from a different century, a different generation, to, to at least in some ways help, help pull off the cultural blinders that, that I can, can, can miss. And so the, the 19th century commentary translated this psalm, written in, they wrote their commentary in the 1860s, in all capital letters. And I thought, well... Maybe I just hadn't noticed in using this 
commentary in the other psalms. And, and so I, I flipped back and looked at Psalm 149 and 148. And yes, there was an occasional word, hallelujah, put in all capital letters. But it wasn't until Psalm 150 that the translators decided the only way to capture the crescendo of praise here at the end of the book of Psalms, the, to, to put it on paper, was to put the whole thing in capital letters. Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. And Psalm 150 in its six verses is straightforward and clear. We can understand it even just in a first reading. We know what it's telling us. It answers some, some basic questions for us. First, where do we praise God? Well, verse 1 says, Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. And so at least the end of that verse forces us to turn our attention upward to heaven, where God is glorified in his heavenly throne room as the angels, as the saints who have gone before us, give praise to God. And, and maybe it's, it's just in parallel that that's what sanctuary means, heavenly sanctuary. But given that later in the psalm, as we'll see, that, that there's a list of instruments to be brought by the worshipers, that it, it might actually be the, the earthly temple, the earthly sanctuary that the psalmist wants us to be reminded of. That God ha is the one who has come down from heaven to earth to meet us in our need. God resides in his sanctuary, and he is the one who has, who has come and given us opportunity to bring sacrifice to him. And then ultimately, God is the one who, in his sanctuary, meets our deepest needs in providing a sacrifice for us. So where, where are we to praise God? Here on earth and even in heaven. Everywhere that we could go, we give praise to God. Now verse 2 then asks, answers, well then why? Why do we praise God? Verse 2, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. We praise God for what he has done for us in history, his mighty deeds, and we praise God for who he is, his excellent greatness. Now, if we, if we took time to, to trace that phrase, the mighty deeds of God, through the Old Testament, we would see that it's a description of, of God's work first in creation, that he is the God who spoke everything that is into existence. Without God, there is nothing. Without God's, the word of his power, nothing exists that we see around us. And so the mighty deeds of God include creation, but, but it doesn't end with creation. It's not that God wound up the clock and then stepped away. No, even when we rebelled against God, in our sin, we turned against God. God has shown us his mighty deeds in rescuing us from our sin. That, that phrase is a reminder that God is the God who saves he is the one who rescued his people, who showed forth his, his mighty deeds in bringing them out of slavery in Egypt. They walked across dry land through the Red Sea. God defeated the enemies of his people. He raised up kings to lead them. God has shown us his mighty deeds. He is the God who saves. But we don't praise God merely because he has done something for us. We praise him because of his very character, the essence of who he is. His, his attributes shown to us, his excellent greatness, as verse 2 says. We praise God for his love. We praise him for his justice. We praise God for his compassion. We praise God because he is holy and wise. And so we give praise to God everywhere. We praise him for who he is and what he has done. And then verses 3 through 5 give us a description of how we are to praise God. 
Half of the psalm focused on, on what it looks like to give praise to God. If you play the trumpet, then praise God with the trumpet. If you play the lute or the harp, then pick them up and lead God's people in worship. If all you can do is, 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 is bang the tambourine and you don't know an upbeat from a downbeat, then find a tambourine and give praise to God. The psalmist is saying, whatever you have, use it to give praise to God. Get, praise God with everything you've got. Now, it might be that the psalmist is trying to describe all of the instruments in the, in the, that are used in the temple worship of God. But, but for sure, he's at least describing the breadth of instruments. He describes instruments that, that, that are wind instruments, that you, that you use your breath to make noise, string instruments, and, and instruments of percussion. He, he's saying, whatever you have at your disposal, use it to give praise to God. God deserves praise. And that, that's why that, that in the psalm that came right before ours, the, the psalmist says, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing a new song, because whatever you have at your disposal, you're going to use it to give praise to God, which means the church's hymn book, the church's songbook, is always going to be expanding, because people are going to pick up new instruments. They're going to find new sounds to give praise to God. The, the gospel is going to travel to new cultures, where instruments will then be transformed to bring glory and praise to God. And so we rightly are rejoice in the rich hymns of the church. We continue to sing psalms of praise to God, but we, we use whatever is at our disposal to give praise to God. And so we give praise to God everywhere. We give praise to God because of who he is and what he has done. We give praise to God with everything at our disposal. And who? Who is commanded to give praise to God? Well, verse 6 is clear. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. If you have air in your lungs, then you were made to give praise to God. That is your purpose. Your reason for, for existing is to glorify the one who made you, to, to, to be reunited with him in a relationship so that you can give praise to God from your first breath when you first understand the gospel. Perhaps as a tiny child, having been taught by your parents, you use your voice to give praise to God. Or maybe you've come to faith in Christ much later in life, but now the, the breath with, with it, with, which is in your lungs can be used to rejoice in the Lord. So from your first breath to your very final breath, you give praise to God. Now this past year was difficult. You don't need me to remind you of that. But a, but a psalm like this that says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord reminds me of God's faithfulness and goodness even to my own family in this past year. When my, my mother at, at this time last year was, was with the, the disease destroying her brain near her very end. But even on her deathbed, with what little breath was left in her lungs, she used it to give praise to God. I would walk into a room and she didn't know who I was but she was still singing the hymns that she had been singing in church, still lifting her voice to give praise to God. Because if you have breath in your lungs, then you are commanded to give praise to the Lord. Psalm 150 is straightforward. We understand what it says to us. We are to give praise to God everywhere because of his greatness and his love. We, we use whatever's at our disposal, and as long as we have breath, we give praise to the Lord. And yet, we struggle. We don't always 
want to give God praise. There are cold and dreary mornings where we think, I don't know, let's just pull the comforter back up over our heads and maybe it will disappear. Or there are days or weeks or months where you feel, where you feel burdened by life and you think, I don't know how I can go on. Why would I want to give God praise now in the midst of what, what's going on around me? We don't always want to give God praise. And yet, as we've been reminded repeatedly through this series, at each of the the junction points, at each of the the, the hinges in the book of Psalms, there is a doxology, a reminder that we are to give praise to God. When you cry out, how long, O Lord, it's then that you lift your voice in praise. And this crescendo here of Psalm 150 is a reminder that right now is the time to give praise to God. Worship leader Matt Papa, in a guidebook that he wrote for other musicians, he, he begins this way. He says, I am an expert on worship. Now, that's useful. If you're wanting to learn something about how to lead worship, you'd want somebody who's an expert. But he's, he's not describing the fact that he's, he's led the church, his, his local congregation in worship, or that he's, he's been on tour as a concert musician, or that he's, he's written songs that, that we even sing here at our church. He says, I am an expert on worship. It's not being arrogant. It's just true. You are an expert in worship too. Because he challenges us to realize that every one of us will worship something. The psalmist demands that we praise the Lord, Yahweh, the God who has entered into a loving relationship with us. But all of us, even when we don't want to give praise to God, we will worship something. See, the question is not, will you worship? The question is, what or whom will you worship? It's, it's not, will you give your life for something? But for what? For whom will you give your life? It's because we are made by God to give him praise. And so if we exchange the glory of God for the, the things of this world, it's not that we stop worshiping. It's just that we worship things around us. They might be physical things, things that would show the greatness of ourselves rather than the, the excellence of God's mighty deeds. It would show how successful we have been or, or how much power we have been able to accumulate. See, the, the false worship, it, it, it grabs our hearts. We, we can chase after comfort or, or personal beauty. We can chase after power. We can, we can make even the good gifts that God has given us of, of marriage or family or friendship into an idol. And, and, it, and if you, if you, if you want to try and figure out what is it, what is it that you're worshiping? Well, then just sort of replay the, the tape from this past week. What were those times of frustration or anger in your life? Where you thought, these people are just getting in my way. This isn't what I deserve. I deserve better than this. Or when you compare yourself to somebody else and you think that's the way my life should be. See, it's in those moments when you realize what matters most to you. And that's why gathering in corporate worship, gathering with the people of God to sing praise to God is a reminder to us of the greatness of God. We need to repeat the songs and the stories of what Jesus has done, what he has accomplished. Because only when you see the greatness of Jesus, the greatness of God and his mighty deeds, will your heart be truly set on the one who is worthy of your worship so that you can turn aside from the the false affections that your heart chases after. 
when you see that God himself has left the mighty heavens and come to earth. Jesus, our, our Savior, has shown us the mighty deeds of God. Jesus has come. And the mighty deeds of God are the death of our Savior, the humility of Christ, his willingness to pay the penalty for our sins. The mighty deeds of God shown to us in the greatness and the power of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, if you flip in your Bible to the book of Ephesians, we, we've actually already heard some of Ephesians chapter 1 in that reminder of God's forgiveness given to us. But, but Paul, in the letter to the church in Ephesus, he uses this, this similar language that we've seen in Psalm 150, that God deserves to be praised for his mighty deeds. Paul, in Ephesians 1, describes the power of God. Look at Ephesians 1, verses 19 to 20. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? Do you hear the echoes of Psalm 150 describing the power, the might, the mighty deeds of God? Verse 20, the, the, the workings of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God has shown us the mighty deeds through Jesus our Savior, who humbled himself, gave his life, but was raised by the power of God from the dead. See, Psalm 150 is not, is not only, though, the crescendo of praise and a, and a pattern of praise for us in the church. Commentators throughout the centuries have, have pointed to this psalm as a, as a picture of what will come in the future. That verse 6 in particular, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It captures the, the language of, of Ephesians 1 that there is coming a, a, an age, the, the age to come when, when all rule and authority and power and dominion will be given to Jesus Christ. It, it's a, Psalm 150 paints a picture for us that points us toward the fullness of praise that God deserves, that slaves have been set free from sin to give praise to God. The fourth century theologian, Gregory of Nyssa, he says that Psalm 150 is a picture of all creatures. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Because it's not merely let every human that has breath praise the Lord. Let every person that has breath praise the Lord. No, let everything that has breath, from the, the angels in the heavens to the, to the beasts of the earth, everything that breathes was designed to give praise to God, whether in vocal song or in the existence of reflecting the, the majesty and creativity of God. And so the, in the 4th century, Gregory says that, that Psalm 150 is a picture of all creatures after sin has been removed, united in harmony and praise. In the 19th century, the preacher Alexander McLaren, he says that this is a prophecy of the last result of praise that is given to God. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Or in our own century, Pastor Tim Keller, in his book on the Psalms, says that this psalm describes for us an eternity of praise. Not a disembodied existence playing harps floating on clouds, 
but the full-orbed worship of God in the new heavens and new earth when everything that has breath will give praise to God. We see it not only in Ephesians and the writings of the Apostle Paul, but if you turn to the very back of your Bibles, to the book of Revelation, John gives us a picture of what that day will look like. When we enter into the heavenly throne room in Revelation 5, verse 13, we read, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. Do you see what what picture John is giving us? It's the picture of Psalm 150. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Angels and humans and creatures, those in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Here and now, in the sorrow and sadness of this life, in the future when we see the fullness of God's kingdom come, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Stories from Korea capture my attention. And this was particularly true back in 2009 and 2010 when our family's attention was focused on Korea for we were waiting to bring home our youngest Samuel from there. And and it was at that time that the worship band Casting Crowns had been invited to go to North Korea, a, a closed country, a communist country, a country with very little opportunity for Christian missions. But this Christian band was invited through a nonprofit to play music in North Korea. Mark Hall, one of the musicians, he describes the opportunity that they had when they were asked to play a traditional American folk song. They had heard some traditional Korean folk songs, and so it was their turn to reciprocate. And so the band decided that the song that they would sing was Amazing Grace. A song which historically is, is yes, rooted in the the rich liturgy of the church, the the corporate worship of God's people, but, but rightly, when you think of America's religious history, It is an American folk song, a song that you might hear even sung at a funeral for somebody who is entirely irreligious. After they sang that song, a song of God's grace and power, one of their their guides came up to them. So a guide leading them through, somebody with, with enough connections in the Communist Party to be given this official responsibility, but yet somebody who then would be under threat from those higher up. The guide came to them and said, I've been hearing that song since I was a kid. But I never knew there were words to that song. See, a legacy of Christian influence in Korea had brought that tune. As English-speaking missionaries from America and Britain took the gospel to the Korean peninsula. And communism could not destroy the memory of the gospel, the memory of the church. And yet for this young man, he, he knew the tune, but he didn't know the words. And perhaps that's the way you and I go through life. We are worshiping something. Our lives sing a song of praise, but to whom? What are the words of your life? What is the description? Is it a song where you are captured by the amazing grace of God, the mighty deeds of God shown on the cross of Christ, shown at the empty grave of the Savior? Do you lift your voice in praise to God for his excellent greatness? Psalm 150 is a command, but it's also an encouragement. 
Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for the power of your gospel. And so we come to you in your word, asking that you would speak to us in truth. Lord, having heard your word, I pray that you would, you would transform our hearts that we might be able to give you praise. Lord, I ask that as we come to the table, which reminds us of the death of Jesus, that we would come as those who put our trust fully and totally in Jesus. Not trusting in our goodness, but relying upon his grace shown to us at the cross. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would grant faith to those who do not yet have it. That those who hear of the mighty deeds of God would put their trust and join in the great chorus of praise to rejoice in the work of Jesus, our Savior. We come praying in his name. Amen.